Have you ever noticed that if you ask 10 people what corporate diversity and inclusion means, you'll get 10 different answers? We invite you to join us for the Inclusion Score podcast as we discuss the standardization of corporate diversity and inclusion. I'm Karen Prater Jasmine, Chief Data Officer at Inclusion Score. And I'm James Felton Keith, CEO at Inclusion Score. We'll meet with leading experts, academics, diplomats, and business people about how to methodologically deliver corporate inclusivity across your organization's governance, HR, product delivery, and supplier diversity. Let's focus on getting DNI right, because if you've worked where we've worked over the years, you know that a bad system beats good intentions any day. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Inclusion Score podcast, where we like to say individuals are at their best when they identify with the community. And communities, of course, are only at their best when they identify all of their individuals. I'm your co-host, James Felton Keith. And my name is Karen Prater-Jasmine. And I really want to know why we are not talking about Starbucks getting dragged into court um, the 1st of September by this conservative think tank. And they are in effect saying that Starbucks effort to promote diversity really equates to reverse discrimination. Right. So I can't believe that we haven't talked about it before now. So let's do well, one thing first. I think first, well, two things. For anyone not familiar, there's a there are a bunch of articles on this topic. But if you would like, I would say Reuters is the article that I'm looking at. The headline is Starbucks executives, directors, comma directors are sued over diversity policies. And let's just discuss for a second. I just want to attack this this phrase, uh, reverse racism. Not that, again, racism can go a lot of different ways, but racism is racism. It's not there's no such thing. Reverse racism is an unnecessary word. It's like saying irregardless which just means regardless, it's redundant. Don't say it, it's dumb, it's dumb. This podcast is not a safe space. I will call you dumb if you use reverse racism. <laughs> okay. reverse racism like sure, sue your company for being racist, even towards you know white men, that is possible, right? But you don't have to be dumb. And even if that's a mean word, I say it to inflict some amount of pain and um, call me out on it. So all of that said, um, reverse racism is just racism and irregardless just means regardless. But back to your question, Karen, um, look, we live, in a, we live in a modern world where folks are pushing back and litigation is driving what we do from an internal corporate policy standpoint. The one thing I wanna point out here is that this lawsuit, if lost, or even if won and, and manage to to move past, right, will still trigger a director's and officer's insurance policy at Starbucks. And so if anyone's not familiar, Google directors and insurance, directors and officers insurance, excuse me, well, or D&O, D&O, insurance, very similar to D&I, which means diversity and inclusion, but D&O means directors and officers insurance. And as you look at that, I want you to consider the fact that most companies like Starbucks, if you're not familiar, if you're not in this industry, if you're not in this space, they buy a certain amount of insurance to protect the executives that make decisions at companies. And in this case, the 
conservative think tank that is building this lawsuit against Starbucks is endeavoring to sue directors for making a decision to deliberately uh, hire diverse candidates. Now, the reason we're not talking about this, Karen, to answer your question is I don't think a lot of people know. I mean, I don't think I don't know if they know that this is a headline. Um, you know, it is. This is a big publicly traded company. So they're responsible for a lot of the things that they say, right? Uh, I'm reading this article. The Seattle-based company has 34,948 stores worldwide as of July 3rd of this year, including 17,050 companies in North America, right? Now, for anyone wondering if this lawsuit has legs, it does. Because after George Floyd was murdered, a lot of companies came out with their diverse inclusion stances. The one that I remember most was Larry Fink saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, something like, I want 30% of my workforce to be Black or African-American. Now, Larry Fink, if you're not familiar, is the CEO of and runs BlackRock, the largest money manager on the, on the planet. They manage the money of the companies that manage your money. They're huge. And while I like his statement in general as, as a Black identifying person, I don't necessarily use the word African-American unless I'm in rooms where it's insisted upon me, and then I will. But that's a little bit extra about me. The thing is, that many Black people don't even exist, right, for Larry Fink to, to do that. So Black people are about 13% of the American population, right? We got a lot of other types of people uh, in this country. Uh, and in every other country, uh, they have their similar or, or different, excuse me, demographic breakdowns. What I would encourage everyone to do is go to inclusionscore.org forward slash 27, the number 27, and look at the different diversity types. And it's not to say that there aren't, as I always say, a billion different types or 8 billion different types of diversity on the planet, but these 27 types come up in legal dockets and HR grievances, right? And this is one of those cases, right? This court case, uh, per the article in Reuters that we will post uh, in the body of of this podcast triggers specific insurance policies based on litigation on one or multiple of the diversity categories defined on our website, inclusionscore.org forward slash 27. And so in getting into Karen's question, um, I think people aren't talking about this enough because they don't know much about the broad stroke implications that it has. Now, that says, and I know I'm, I feel like I'm over talking a bit. Well, but, 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 so, okay. so, so, yeah. so let me add some more color to my question. Um, because if you, when the viewers, listeners read the article, they'll see that, you know, an effort was made on behalf of the corporation to remedy uh, some of the hiring practices post George Floyd. Sure. Is that enough uh, legal defense to say we are trying to do something restorative around our hiring? And our procurement in light of the fact that, you know, there's this qualifying event. Um, it certainly, you know, makes me think that, um, that it's the right thing to do. A am I right or wrong per the ISO? It depends, right? It depends on what they can, now that this is litigation, it depends on what they can prove in a court of law. So per the ISO standard, and everyone, obviously, as, as we always do on this particular podcast, we're talking about ISO 30415. This triggers multiple portions of the standard. Again, the standard fits in the 
four large DNI categories, organizational governance, things we do at our executives, organizational HR, things we do at our employees, organizational product delivery, things we do at our products, whether they're a service or a, something very tangible. And last but not least, organizational supplier diversity. I think that this gets triggered uh, in two of the 32 domains that break out from those four big categories. And again, if folks go to our website forward slash the number 32, they'll see all of those domains broken out. But domain five and six stick out to me in particular because those domains are called the diversity and inclusion framework or DNI framework. And this is basically the central most treasure trove of DNI holdings that a company might have, right? That it distributes throughout HR product procurement and is endorsed by governance or the executive staff. This is really the brain trust or even the heart, if you will, of how we deliver DNI. And so to answer your question, Karen, it depends on how they can defend what they've designed in in their DNI framework, if they even have one. I happen to know, for instance, that they don't have one. And so, you know, I think doing things like hiring Melanie Hobson to your board and making public statements about DNI is not enough to actually protect yourself in a court of law at this point. Whether things are right or wrong is, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but it is adjacent to what is adequate and defendable, right? And so when we think about the makeup of the 17,000 stores or 17,050 stores in the United States, per this article from Reuters, I would think about breaking down uh, and employer HR hiring practices and onboarding practices based on the demographics of the United States, right? So I think go. too often, for instance, we think about diversity and inclusion, especially after George Floyd, knowing the history of America, you know, who the strife that we've had, I would say for the longest has been very black and white. But as time has gone on and, and even black and brown people have started to diversify, you know, if you're in the Northeast or the Midwest, sure, it's very black and white. If you're in parts of the South, sure it can be deemed black and white. But if you're in the Southwest, it's very Latino and white. If you're in the Northwest, it's very Asian and white. Diversity means a lot of different things depending on where you are and where the certain folks are. Now I would say any corporation that's trying to hire people, period, wants to exhaust its efforts to attract the folks that it can. And, and when it realizes that it can't, per some intentional policy, it hires who's available. So if I'm looking for a high number of you know, black folks in, I don't know, the least black county in Wisconsin or Nebraska or New York State or Florida or you name it, you know, I'm gonna do what I can per that 13% number that we talked about earlier. And then I'm gonna hire who's available, who's willing to take that job. I wanna be able to demonstrate that, that po policy and process exists. And for folks who are unfamiliar, that would be a proxy of domain five and domain six out of the 32 domains of the ISO standard. A company can design this in the policy to respond to this racism or reverse racism lawsuit to say, no, what we're doing is by being restorative, what we're trying to do is acknowledge the demographics that exist in particular places uh, across where we have real estate and distribute product to understand how we can engage folks going forward. And the way we do that is just demonstrating our uh, regularly critiqued 
possibly sometimes flawed DNI framework, and it is a real defense. When we think about diversity and inclusion, and it's a bit of a run on, excuse me for, for running on and answering your question, but when we think about DNI, we usually think about it as either a reaction or crisis, to right, remedy old world problems and bring folks in, but we rarely think about it from the possibility that we could lose our shirt in litigation, right? Diversity inclusion is not only about the expansion or changing of the market. We always talk about that, and that's that's cool. That's a nice conversation. But it is also about having a defense mechanism against frivolous lawsuits, like I would say this one is, and yes, I'm biased here, you know, as a CEO myself, frivolous lawsuits that implicate uh, our ability to do business well. Let's just be honest, if these are lower wage jobs in the urban area, you're likely gonna hire people who are more available to take those jobs. And those are gonna be the spectrum of brown-faced folks, right? On top of whether they are veterans or disabled people or LGBT people or you name it. Um, and so that also needs to be engaged and can be a very good defense mechanism in a court of law, but your best defense mechanism would be we have process designed then to engage these personnel after looking at the demographics in a specific place, like where these reverse racism, i.e. racism lawsuits are being brought based on seeing folks that they don't expect to see in places like Orange County or Bloomfield, Michigan, or you name it, right? So, so I think going back to the guide rails of the standard, matter and being able to ask yourself uh for instance there's a question tied to domain five part four which per the iso 30415 standard will be very nerdy here which would be the section 6.2.4 of the actual standard i'm reading verbatim right does your team ensure that all members of the workforce understand and share in the achievement of DNI objectives. Before you ask that question to your workforce, you have to have DNI objectives defined. Probably earlier in the DNI framework, you have to have something to distribute to them as they're onboarded, right? You also have to ask yourself the first question in this domain: Does your does your team, excuse me, ensure the rationale for DNI is established in organizational leaders? Uh, excuse me, is established in organizational leaderships? articulate their commitment to sponsor, develop, and su sustain an inclusive organization, right? By producing all of that language via internal technical writing, internal documentation, right? One would be able to, or an institution would be able to then come externally and defend itself in a court of law against a, you know, someone trying to sue, you know, some plaintiff, right? So the DNI framework is divided into two portions. Domain five is specific to actions that an organization might take. And domain six is specific to measures, right? These are tools and tactics that an organization might use to quantify the qualitative actions that they're taking. And it'll ask, uh, for instance, you know, can you identify percent changes of DNI risks and opportunities? This lawsuit would be a risk. How many of these are you seeing? Does it create an opportunity? Are there other opportunities? How do you categorize them? These are things that are noted 
and repeatable and doable across organizations, whether they're Starbucks or Ford Motor Company or American Airlines or any of the tiny companies that they engage. Right. Well, so, so, so is it fair to say that a company can say that we're being preemptive and before, you know, persons of African descent or whoever, mm-hmm. before they walk up and say you have disproportionately excluded us from employment, we went the further step to set some hiring goals. Um, if it's the case that we've been blocked out um, or women um, then the company should set some goals forth to say, let's correct uh, our hiring practices by setting forth these goals. Yep. And is that a buffer um, to these kinds of suits that we're seeing now? I think so. I think you want to be able to say in all of these, you know, of an organization like a Starbucks, for instance, that spans, again, 34,000 plus locations across the globe, 17,000 in the United States, we're able to say we have this active process of critique per standard to both engage our functional managers that control how our staff interact in the world, right? Not just at these locations, but what's happening at, at corporate, our, our white collar folks. And then we're actively engaging our series of advisory boards place by place. These are called employee resource groups to, to vet, ratify, and enhance the maturity of these internal standard documentation then you're able to say, look, we're not an inherently racist company. We're taking steps to vet who our employee, supplier, and consumer base are in a locale and gradually scale into who they are. And we're putting not only uh, work activity in this, but we're putting a timeline to this, right? And our timeline wasn't, it's going to be done tomorrow before the next lawsuit comes, but We're planning on scaling into this in the next three years, in the next five years, in the next decade. And we do not deserve, nor does our activity warrant a problem or excuse me, a lawsuit uh, in this vein of, oh, we just happen to hire too many, uh, too many Asian people in the San Francisco Bay Area. You know, that wasn't our intention. We're we're actively scaling this. We are not actively excluding white males from this workforce, right? Um, And so, I mean, all sorts of things go into that, you know, acknowledging research that it's not just high school students looking for these jobs anymore, right? Which speaks to a broader, you know, economic issue with regards to who does what in in the modern workforce, right? And so so who's competing for these jobs and who would we rather have? What sort of experience and competence would we rather have? Uh, you know, who works in fast food now is, I think, different than when I started working uh, in fast food in the 90s. And who else may have worked there in, say, the 70s? So all of this stuff plays in. And I think paper trails help thwart uh, litigation uh, that is against our better intentions to honor not only our employee, but our consumer base, especially when we sell a B2C product like a Frappuccino to to the broadest population possible so so yeah to answer your question in the in one word yeah yep yes (laughs) well you know i think that starbucks thought they were doing the right thing by saying that they want to you know double their spend to 1.5 billion dollars by 2030 um you know procurement officers around the country and the globe should be watching this. I mean, it's not like a precedent can be set. It could change 
the outcome could change if this uh, suit were filed anywhere different in the country. But I think this group comes out at Starbucks because they are a large target. Um, Not an easy one, but a large target. We would do well to use the ISO to help us make sure we have said paper trail uh, and be very intentional about what we do and why and let the ISO inform what best practice looks like. Totally. I think last thing I'll say and why, again, these lawsuits, obviously, let me back up for a minute. We're obviously branding ourselves as the non-conservatives. I mean, we work in DNI, we work for a company called Inclusion Score, but we're trying to be as realistic and, and respectful of these suits as possible, mainly because what they show is some pushback from national nationalistic opinions, not only here in the United States, but really this is happening around the globe, uh, and patriarchal. Uh, systems across the globe that are trying to stop the expansion of engagement of consumers. And as a macroeconomist, I'll say, I'm not making the argument, and I don't want to speak for Karen or even the rest of the company, I'm not making the argument that these lawsuits are just flagrant um, and that they don't advance the the quality and the rigor of, of modern um, publicly traded companies and the distribution of their products and services. The main argument that I'm making for a progressive approach to engaging both employees and suppliers and consumers is the per the notion that they enhance gross domestic product, right? For everyone who's not familiar with GDP or gross domestic product, it is just a measure of transactions. And if we want to expand an economy, which we of course do, which both capitalists and people who identify some other way on the economic spectrum identify. Our objective is to expand the number of participants in an economy who can make transactions. And so both engaging individuals who have been locked out of classical economic structure by giving them a job or engaging institutions that have not had opportunity by giving them a contract to supply or engaging consumers with products and services that they have not normally been marketed towards to to consume is an effort to scale the GDP of this place and every other place. And if we want the world to work uh, in a well-oiled way uh, in which pockets of the planet have for let's say the past 200 years at the very least, then we need to spend our money and our effort to better engage them. And that is a proxy of diversity and inclusion. So mm-hmm. our main argument here at Inclusion Score and as individuals is to expand the pool of who is earning money, spending money and consuming products. And to suggest that a firm should stop trying to expand its market and who it hires and the suppliers that it brings in is antithetical to what we are trying to produce in an inclusive capitalistic space or what we would like to call inclusionism so yeah i think that this lawsuit is ridiculous and i just want to say that on this podcast and i don't give a damn what everybody thinks about what i think about this i'm right and uh if you're working with us these are the kind of people that you're gonna work with uh but you're gonna work with us folks because this insurance policy that starbucks have is gonna be tied to us i'm not a dni consultant i work in insurance so I guess we should wrap that up there. You know, 
And Karen, unless you got something else to say. Well, well I thank you for that answer. Um, <laughs> and, awesome. and, and that last part about, you know, you know, DNI being a proxy for inclusionism and, and growing the GDP um, yeah. is language that we need to repeat. The lawsuit yeah. is frivolous on its on its face because it fails to recognize that basic uh, aim that we're after. It, it, it fails to realize that when 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 Starbucks does this initiative and succeeds, right, it makes for a stronger economy for all of us. And right. so we'll watch it and we'll keep you posted. Um, we'll talk about other things like this on the podcast. Yeah, right. Who wants to stifle their market? That's crazy. I want more people. They want. They have to want more people buying selling whatever at starbucks all right till next time folks thanks <laughs>